Hi there, I'm Jake Humphrey, and I wish you a very happy new year from the High Performance Podcast. Throughout 2023, we are going to be standing right alongside you, reminding you that it's within. Your ambition, your purpose, your story are all there. We are going to help unlock it by turning the lived experiences of the planet's highest performers into your life lessons every single week throughout the new year. Myself and Professor Damien Hughes are going to be having conversations that may well just change the game for you. But I want to start 2023 by sharing a quote from Epictetus, one of the Stoics. He says, the chief task in life is simply this, to identify and separate matters so that I can say clearly to myself which are externals not under my control and which have to do with the choices I actually control. And I wanted to share that because I think that's the, the single most important message for you to hear from me ahead of a brand new year. It was probably the most important practice in Stoic philosophy, understanding the difference between what we can change and what we can't. Realising that things will happen all the time to us that we can't control, but it's still our responsibility to deal with them. Realising that in 2023, despite best intentions, despite best efforts, Despite doing everything that you think you can, things will still go wrong. Moments will still arrive where everything feels like a failure, where you feel like you're struggling. That will happen. But what you have to do is let go of those things. You can't control the uncontrollable. I think it's a great thought to start the new year with. I also think this is a great episode to start the new year with. Today, we welcome Courtney Black. My friends think I'm mental. I wake up at five in the morning and Amy, she goes to me, you don't just get out of bed, you leap out of bed. You're like a zombie getting out of bed because my mind is constantly going. I am always thinking, what's next, what's next? I told you guys earlier that I'm constantly moving. I'm moving places because I don't know where I want to be. I was born in 96. So at that time, it was the best beach bodies, the best magazines. I used to run on the treadmill to the Victoria's Secret catwalk for hours. It cost me £100 to make this ebook, right? It probably took me a week to make it, and I earned like 300k off of it. I know it's a, a very typical thing that people probably hear on earth all the time. Oh, you have to make a lot of sacrifices, but you do. You know, I really enjoyed this conversation. Courtney Black is very quickly becoming a household name. She has hundreds of thousands of people following her online. Her fitness business and her app are hugely popular. You're about to hear that her energy is infectious. Her openness is disarming. She has a true army of followers. She is an inspiration for me. I also think she's the epitome of a purpose-driven businesswoman in 2023. But you're about to hear both the things that she was able to control and the things that were out of her control. You're also going to hear how she reacted to the things that she couldn't control. You're going to hear her talk about pain from years gone by that drives her daily to deliver to her very best. This is the true story of how she built her fitness empire and what you can learn from her and how you must realise that as we bring you the first episode of 2023, taking control of your future is scary but absolutely vital. I really hope you stick with high performance every single week throughout 2023. We talk all the time about creating habits and how important consistency is. I'd like you to consistently come back to this podcast every single week throughout 2023, particularly when you're struggling, as we bring you game-changing content every single week. Here we go then. Let's kick off the biggest ever year of high-performance content by welcoming Courtney Black. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. So, Courtney, what does high performance mean to you? For me, high performance is probably a bit different to what other people have said. And it's being successful at something that you're being truly authentic with. For such a long time, I was trying to live up to like a standard that I couldn't maintain. And I lost myself completely with that. I've become the most successful version of myself and the biggest high performer that I could be when I've stopped worrying so much about stuff like that. I mean, I've had such huge pressure on my shoulders from such a young age. And I feel like that is, again, is what made me lose myself. I mean, I had an eating disorder when I was like 17 and that's completely life-changing, but that's because I was so worried about what people thought when they looked at me. And then I started having panic attacks when my business was probably at its biggest when it was booming because I was so worried about like what people thought about my workouts. I know it sounds silly, but about what people was doing, if they liked what I was doing and if they liked what yeah I was, I was providing them. And then that, again, made me lose myself again. I've become the most successful version of myself when I've stopped worrying about that so much and I've just become authentic to who I am. I think anyone that you meet and they're being truly authentic to who they are, you start loving them, right? You love what they do. You love how they are as a person. You feel like you can connect to them. I feel like every single day I have such a big pressure on my shoulders because I have so many thousands of people in fact giving me that one hour of their day to come and train with me to come and work out with me and that can make or break their day and I feel like that's, that's a huge pressure but I can't worry about that too much because there's going to be so many people that don't enjoy something but then they do enjoy something there's everyone thinks a completely different way and you can't control the way that someone thinks and I think the the best way to be a high performer is to just love what you do that's personally for me what being a high performer is so let's roll the clock back mm -hmm. then to the period where you were struggling with an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. 
it kind of sounds from what you said like you were so concerned about what the outside world thought of you 100% like where did that come from so I used to dance and I, I think I've always danced my whole life and my mum put me in this like baby pink lycra latin dress and I remember this picture being like shown of me and I was mortified and so I was how old were you Courtney? probably 14 Right. Yeah. And I remember there was just being, all the girls were just stick thin and they was like, you're going to be a better dancer if you can throw yourself around, if you can be as light as possible. And that stuck in my head like massively. And then I would look in the mirror every single day, like a 14, 15 year old and pinch my belly. The first thing I would do is pinch my belly when I woke up in the morning. And I feel like beauty standards were so big back then. And it was even worse in like the dancing world, in the performing world. And I was so worried about other people and what they thought when they looked at me that it completely took over my life. I mean, I would wake up in the morning at like four in the morning when I was working in the city. So I got my first job in the city when I was like 17, 18. And I would get the night bus to the gym at like four in the morning going through Bow, which was so dangerous. I wouldn't even do that now. Just so I could get to the gym for a couple of hours in the morning and I could train. And I was so worried about what other people thought. I was worried that people thought that I was overweight, that people thought I wasn't going to be the best dancer that it completely consumed me. Like all I thought about was being skinny. And obviously from that, it become a self-hating sort of thing. I never really loved myself. I always judged other people based on what they looked at because I thought people was judging me. I've become quite a horrible person, I think. I mean, I remember looking at people and thinking, God, you don't look great. Or the first thing I'd do when I walked in the room is judge someone on what they look like rather than how they held themselves or how they spoke to me. Or even the things that they like, the things that yeah. they said, which is the most important thing. Yeah, right? like I would rather than learn from people. I'm surrounded by so many different people these days, and the first thing I, I, I think about isn't the hair or how weight, how much weight they've got on them. And being a big part of my job, I mean, I make people look better, right? But I also make people feel better. But I make people look better. But I never once look at someone and think. God, what are they what are they wearing or why do they look like that? Whereas that was all I used to think when I looked at someone and I didn't really understand the true value of a person. And that goes back to what I said earlier about being authentic to who you are. Being authentic to who you are is not sitting there and judging someone for what they look like. But I was so absorbed by that because that's what I thought people thought of me. So can I ask you, like you described that pink dress you were wearing mm. and that was a trigger for you of being concerned about your, your size and your shape. Was anything said to you at that time as well that reinforced it? Um, I think you get like the the girls and they're quite catty and they don't have to directly say it to you. But you can tell by someone's attitude what they're thinking. It might have just been me being really insecure. Right. But I think when I was in school, I, I literally once got called Mr. Tubby. You know, the, he was pink, weren't he? Yeah, Mr. Blobby. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah Mr. Mr. Blobby, you know, the pink one. And I, I just remember being called that in primary school and it stuck with me for ages. I was not, I was not bullied, don't get me wrong. Right. I was never bullied in school. I was always completely different to anyone else. But that was just by my attitude and I chose to not really had that many friends in school because I was always on the go I was different to anyone else I used to do my homework in in my breaks and stuff it wasn't by what I looked like I was never bullied by what I looked like which I think a lot of people are and that takes it by that but I think it was just me being worried about what other people thought of me all the time so it wasn't directly people saying things about me it was just a constant worry in my head so take us into your head then and give us some mm. examples of the conversations you were having with yourself from 17 onwards? I think it was more every time someone looked at me, it wasn't because they was looking at me because I was maybe dancing really well or because I looked good. It was they was looking at me because I, I looked awful or I looked overweight or something was wrong with me. And I was so paranoid about that. Now I'm 
I mean, I walk down the street now and if someone looks at me, you, you look back at me, smile, right? But I would look back at them and I'd think, what are they looking at? Or why are they looking at me like that? And I don't really know where that insecurity come from because I've always been such a confident person. But I used to, I think I used to mask that with saying that I was really confident. I never got nervous and stuff like that when I was a kid. And I used to use that as like my fuel. But when I was dancing, I was crippled with this like horrible feeling of like self-loathing and hated everything about myself and I went I took that into school I took that into relationships I took that into obviously getting older and having that eating disorder and being that judgmental person I remember when I started being a personal trainer I was still so worried about what people thought of me and I still couldn't understand when people didn't feel that way I used to judge pretty much all my clients I made one girl cry because she once come in and because she said to me that she couldn't understand why she couldn't stop eating she couldn't understand why she couldn't say no to this extra bit of food on the weekend and I just went to her stop being so lazy I couldn't understand why someone couldn't think the way that I thought about food and I just remember I made her cry and that was such a turning point in my career because I thought I never want anyone to feel like that and I just thought why am I being so ununderstanding and I could never understand how people didn't think the way that I thought and it's quite an upsetting thing but now I can look back and that made me like the business person I am today and that made me help so many people today because I've learned from their mistakes and I think this will resonate with a lot of people who Mm. go through their lives thinking those people are unkind or they're sniggering behind my back or Mm. you know everyone else is out to get me there's a really important realisation here that all of this is us projecting actually how we feel about ourselves onto the rest of the world. 100%. Nobody else walks down the road and looks and looks at you and thinks, what have she got on? What she? That's you in your head. Only since I've stopped caring so much about what I look like is when I'm so less judgmental. Like right, when I, so how do we... Because people listening to this would love to be where you are now, mm, but they are where you were then. It was I'd such a turning point for process. me in my life. I think it's baby steps. I don't think it's going to happen overnight. It's the same with an eating disorder. You're not going to recover from an eating disorder overnight. And there is always going to be parts of your life when you're going to be triggered by that. I don't feel like this every day. Don't get me wrong. Ever. I wake up some days and I still pinch myself and I still look at myself and I think, you're not good enough. I doubted myself yesterday. I doubted myself this morning before I come on here. You snap out of it. How do you snap out of it? You've got to remember, I I used to do silly things like get post-it notes and stick them on my mirrors and write down all the things I liked about myself rather than being so critical of all the things I didn't like about myself. See, why is that silly? I know, that's what I'm saying. But we all laugh at things like that, don't we? In our heads, we laugh and we think, oh, what are we doing that for? Do we? It's all self We're not laughing though, are we? It sounds to me like a really nice... It's a great idea. But when I first started doing that, I thought, God, what am I doing? Why am I doing that? Because we've been embedded so for so many years, we've been told for so many years, self-development is silly. Well, I was anyway. Right. I was told that maybe it was growing up in the East End, have a hard shell, have a hard exterior, don't let anyone see that you're feeling down or feeling upset. But I mean, I've, I've got a therapist, helps massively, helped me with my business massively. I started having panic attacks and I thought, I always used to look at people who had therapists and laugh at that. Why are we because, laughing at that? Like, why would you find that funny? Yeah, again, I think it's just from my upbringing. Like, nobody ever had a therapist. Sure. Nobody ever spoke about things like that. If I told my mum, for example, that I was, like, chewing and spitting out my food, and if I told my mum that I was thinking that people was thinking about this, she probably wouldn't have even understood me. She probably would have just went, why, why are you doing that? She wouldn't have said to me, okay, Courtney, let's get you a therapist. 
one, we couldn't afford that. Yeah. And two, like, it's just something that wasn't so done. Did you tell anyone when you were in the absolute depths of despair no. of your eating disorder? No. I mean, I was really, really skinny. And even then, like, I got people coming up to me in the gym and saying, are you okay? Like, do you need some help? But none of my family ever noticed it. They used to say to me, when I used to go to the family parties and they didn't know that I was taking food in the toilet, chewing it out, spitting it out, and in the absolute depth of it, they just thought I was being miserable. They thought I was being moody. They said to me, why is Courtney not interacting? Why is Courtney, like, picking at her food? And that's the worst thing you can say to someone when yeah. they're in the depth of an eating disorder is, why are you doing that? I don't know. So tell us then, so because we're fathers of young daughters as yeah. well. So there's a part of me as I'm hearing this, uh, like uh, it, sending shivers down my spine. Yeah. Of so course. tell us what can we do? Like not with our own children necessarily, but if somebody is like that and it's easy to label them as miserable or disconnected or moody, what can we, like what kind of questions should we be asking that help people? I would personally say like you've got to tread on, on thin waters. Like it's such a hard topic to discuss and I was so defensive. So if my mum, for example, I had to wait until the point that I knew I was ready to tell my mum because it's an embarrassing thing to tell your mum that you're doing certain things is pretty embarrassing and you're also quite scared that she's going to tell you off. It's asking the questions that nobody else asks. How are you feeling? Like, why do you think that you're not eating this? Do you understand the the consequences going to have on your body. I only truly stopped doing it when I Googled myself, like, what are the consequences of me doing this? What are the health, like, am I really, like, benefiting my health or am I disrupting my health? I found out that I was making my tooth decay. I was causing stomach ulcers. That's the only thing that stopped me. Not because I thought, like, I was in a bad headspace, because that bad headspace was something, like, I quite enjoyed being segregating myself. That, Did that, you? Yeah, like, because when you're so emotionally attached to food... That time when you're sitting in the bathroom and you're spitting food out is the time when you're on your own. It's the time when you're getting that little bit of relief and it's making you feel better because you don't want to eat food in front of people. Well, you're not lonely, like deeply lonely at this point. That 100%. You this 100%. Dark secret though. I can't relate back to it now. I can, literally can't go back to it now because if I even have a thought like this, I'm so disturbed by it. And whenever someone comes to me through Instagram or they email me, all I want to do is help them. And all I want to do is tell them, like, that's that's not a good time to be in. That's not the best time. But for me, I couldn't wait to get away. I, I used to go on dates, for example. Couldn't wait to get out of there because I couldn't wait to get home and be on my own and chew and, food, chew and spit my food out and stuff like that. Could not wait. I've just been on a date with someone. I've been sitting there having a conversation, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, can't wait to get home, can't it wait to get home. It took over your life completely. Completely. So I still want to really drill down into mm. how you begin to emerge from this particularly for those that are listening to this and they're still in the depths of it and they are crying out for you to say something that they can latch onto and go, right, mm. I'm going to do that. I'm going to make that call or I'm going to think yeah. in a certain way. It's hard because you have to truly want to. Yeah. And I think for a long period of my time, I didn't want to come out of that. And it was, I think I, I just wanted to be happy again. I wanted to stop losing relationships. I wanted to stop losing friendships. I was losing friendships. I was losing relationships. I was losing jobs. I had no personality. I was losing myself. And I think you will feel that. You will feel that you're losing yourself. You're being snappy at people. You're losing your period. So you're not feeling 100%. You're just not being the person that you should be. It's the same as if someone's a really bad drug addict. Unless they want to come out of that, however much rehab they have and however much people tell them like, oh, do this, I'll do this, I'll just stop drinking. 
it's not as easy as that. You have to mentally want to be there. You have to mentally want to make that change. And then you can start thinking of ways that are going to truly help you. It might be as easy as taking a mirror out of your of your living room, distancing yourself from people that you might find triggering, unfollowing people on social media, stop watching things that you're finding triggering. I used to watch a lot of model programs. I used to watch a lot of catwalk shows and stuff like that where people are really skinny. I used to watch a lot of people's food diaries and how these celebrities get slim and I used to read a lot of magazines that would pick people apart for what they look like remove these triggers from your life and then you're less likely to be triggered right so so just to pick up on that you were then inviting into your life then all of the things that were Mm. making you think in the way you did so when you were looking at people with these toxic thoughts about how they looked and how they felt about you Mm. you were absorbing that through all kinds of types of media exactly you couldn't get away from it i mean i was a i was born in 96 so at that time it was the best beach bodies the best magazines i used to run on the treadmill to the victoria's secret catalog for hours and you i've read you've told that story where you actually yeah did two hours and collapsed while yeah. you were watching it on and- the cruise yeah i was known as the girl that used to run on, i had a treadmill in my bedroom for example i was known as the girl who used to run to the victoria's secret catalog used to that was my that was my motivation why is my motivation not thinking okay i want to i want to be able to run 10 15k yeah. because it's an accomplishment which it is now mine was i want to be able to run for two hours because i want to burn off all the food that i've ate that day so really what we're saying here is everything that you did was about negativity not about positivity 100 percent, 100 percent. everything was i hated my body so i wanted to exercise yeah. i didn't like the way that i looked so i wanted to exercise i didn't feel like food was doing anything for me except for making me fat. So I didn't want to eat food. So psychologists call this, you can either move towards something or you can move away from it. Mm. We've established what you didn't want, what you were often moving away from, of being perceived as being fat or unattractive. What was your trigger to identify what you wanted to move towards instead, like a more healthy version of you? Like like what happened that allowed you to to set a new sense of direction? I just wanted to feel good. I I just wanted to feel good. I didn't want to feel unhappy anymore. I didn't want to feel miserable anymore. But was that a one single moment where you realised I'm actually really unhappy or was it a cumulative I think it process? was a cumulative, to be honest with you. It was just before lockdown when it was like that sort of hit. But it was over the over probably a year of being in unhappy relationships where I was with people who didn't even show me any affection. They didn't like me for who I was. I was really like letting people get away with murder, letting people treat me like I shouldn't have been treated. I was letting friends walk all over me. I was going out a lot and I was going like heavily raving. I was just doing things that didn't even like give me any sort of happiness at all. I remember I was I was filled to the nines with fillers. I had lip fillers, cheek fillers, jaw fillers because I was, again, trying to, be the perfect person trying to be something that I wasn't I was walking out the door and I was so concerned that because I've always had quite a big following that people would look at me and think god that's not who we follow people didn't believe in who I was and I didn't believe in who I was you were so twisted up weren't yeah you? I was so sick and tired of it like how can that be a happy a happy young girl I mean I was 21 at the time how and can, you were having fillers and things like that at 21 completely but again right. this comes with social media everyone was offering me it for free so I mean, I was 21. I didn't like the way that Mm. I looked. I was trying to look like someone that I wasn't. I mean, and people don't believe me when I say I literally looked in the mirror one day and I thought that needs to go. That is literally what happened to me. Go on, what? Like, like, what do you mean by that? Take us into that day. You wake up in the morning. I was in the gym 
training my clients. I think I was 22 at this time. And this was in December. And we went into lockdown in March, March was it? Yeah. yeah. So it was, it was quick. I went to the gym and I was training my client and I looked in the mirror. Obviously, I knew that people used to sort of mock me and say things to me. I mean, I'm, I've got a social media following. I used to get the messages. You what know? sort of stuff? Oh, what's, she, what's going on with her face? Why have you got all that in your face? Like, you need oh, to right. stop. You look like an alien. And when you read them previous to this, how did you feel then? I never took it in. Yeah. I liked doing these things okay. to myself. But obviously, they do keep in your mind, right? They do keep going. And I just remember being in work this day and I looked nothing like myself. I remember what I used to look like. My lips were like this. And every single time I walked around that gym, I thought that someone was looking at me. And that's when I knew that this had to change. Because how draining that every single time you walk around a gym when you work in with your friends, you thought that someone was looking at your face. Like there probably even wasn't. But I remember I said to Jay, in who owned the gym, I said, this needs to go. And he went, what do you mean? I went, tomorrow, this is being done. And I went, if I, if I, if I feel differently... I'll just get it done again. But right now I'm so unhappy and I don't feel like myself and this needs to go. And then I woke up the next the next day, I followed through with it, I got it all dissolved and I... Sorry, right, so sorry to explain this for someone who doesn't understand. So what was it that needed Fillers. to go? And my Fillers. face wasn't, is com- was completely dismorphed. Right, so how do you get rid of them then? Is it not? You have to have it dissolved. You have to have injections put in your face. Yeah, wow. it's crazy. Yeah. Right. My face was, I did not look anything like myself. Like I was a completely different person. And again, that comes with a mask. Like I'm worried that people mm. were looking at me thinking I'm not. That's different. exactly what it all yeah. was. It was just a mask it's you a were mask. wearing, wasn't it? And when that went, I can't, I, people do not believe me. I instantly was happier. I instantly walked out the door. Of course, I, did, I still didn't think I looked, I looked amazing, whatever, because I was still quite self-conscious. But I walked in that gym a couple of days later when it was all sorted and I didn't think that anyone was staring at me because of that anymore. Wow. They was like, I just felt normal. I just felt like a normal person. So something had changed then. While you were doing all these things you'd always done, while you were wearing this mask, mm. something underneath had changed. You'd got to a point somehow. Just had enough. Just had enough. Just had enough. I think it was, I just had enough. I just wanted to be happy. I wanted to be, I've always been such a confident and bubbly girl and I was not confident or bubbly anymore. I was miserable. I was moody. I was judgmental. And I just remembered who I was when I used to be. And I think my mum used to say to me, why are you so like Aggie? Why are you so moody? Because I wasn't, I, I wasn't who I was anymore. I was losing myself bit by bit. I was going out with idiots I was surrounding myself with idiots and everyone was a bit shocked when I unfollowed loads of people that I was going out with like that I was mingling with on social media and just before lockdown they would like to me why have you unfollowed us and I said Mm. because I I don't want to follow you anymore and what were they bringing to your life that you no longer wanted in your life they was posting angry stories I was angry at everyone they was always like screenshotting things like taking the piss out of people like being judgmental like they was always going out and like I've never been a party girl. They're going out there videoing each other, like just being reckless, like causing havoc. And I thought, this isn't me. Like, what am I doing? And I was so angry that I fell into this this person. And I thought, this need this needs to stop. So that decision you made to stop and following them, did they turn on you and start applying some of hundred percent? They all think they all think I'm they all think I think I'm prestigious. Oh, like I'm, I've moved, moved to Southwest London now. I've got bigger following. Oh, da, da, da. I'm not. I'm just, I'm just happier. That's because they're still in the world that you were in before, right? Yeah. Which is dominated by opinion. Yeah. And we talk often on this podcast about mm. uh, opinion is totally valueless, right? Mm. 
is all about empathy. Mm. But you had been sort of dragged into this world where mm. opinion was above everything else. So 100%. your opinion of other people was all that mattered. Their opinion of you was, was all, all that, that you mattered. thought about. All that all the people in your life did on social media was share their opinions. There was no room for empathy. No one ever, I imagine, ever said to you in that period, how are you really feeling? I see exactly. you look amazing on your Instagram, but what's the truth about how you're feeling? And I think this is a really powerful conversation because all of our children and all the young people that listen to this podcast are growing up in a world where they are taught, you've got to have an opinion, you've got to be aggressive. And the worst thing is, the opinion is that everyone else is doing fine and we're doing shit. Mm. That's not what's going on. We're all struggling. We're all flawed. Mm. We all have self-doubts, but we're all desperate to show the world that we look great and we look amazing. And that's what you did. Yeah, 100%. And it killed you. Killed me, honestly killed me. And my therapist told me one vital lesson is what you're thinking is not what someone else is thinking. Your emotions are your own and someone else's emotions are their own. When someone says something to you and you don't like what they're saying, don't always take it on face value because you don't understand what's going through their head. They could say something to you and you've took it in the completely different way to how they meant it. But that's their own emotions. Have you ever read that book of... um, how to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah. <laughs> it's, Carnegie, yeah. it's such an amazing book. Yeah. And it's like, it's talking about how people are going to perceive you, how you perceive other people and taking things just for face value and just for how they are. People don't always mean what they're saying. They're not always trying to be horrible. Then the kids, when they said Mr. Blobby, they didn't know that was going to stick with me. These people, when I, my mum didn't know that when she used to say to me, oh, you need to get into this dress that I was going to take it in a certain way. I mean, for example, yesterday, my, my mate went to me, don't wear white on camera because it's going to make you look big. She didn't know that I had any, like, that was going to trigger my eating disorder, more anyway. So it's been brilliant to hear all the things that you took out of your life, mm. from friends to face filler, right? Apart from the therapist, what are the things that you brought into your life that were really good for you? Actually taking time for myself mm-hmm. and saying no to things that I didn't want to do. I used to be so worried about what if people would say if I'd, ended up not wanting to go to a party, ended up not wanting to go out for dinner with someone. Sometimes the best thing you can do is actually just give yourself some time. Um, for example, if I, if I say to someone that I'm going to go for dinner with them on Friday, but then I decide that I don't want to go for dinner with them on Friday because it's going to be a lot better for me to, I don't know, sit indoors, have a bath, go for a walk, listen to a podcast, then I'm going to do that rather than trying to please everyone, be such a people pleaser all the time. And I think adding things into my life that, really truly mean value to me spending more time with my family rather than spending time with people that I'm just trying to impress all the time I think little things can really truly improve your life getting fresh air prioritizing getting fresh air prioritizing spending a bit of time just going out for a coffee and maybe speaking to someone new going out for a coffee and not taking your phone with you and smiling at someone rather than when someone looks at you looking away because you're worried, oh, what are they trying to, are they trying to flirt at me? Are they trying to like, are they judging me? Just meet new people, be around new circumstances. You never know where life's going to take you. Well, it sounds like listening to you that stop doing things allowed you space to actually start, start asking yourself some pretty significant questions, mm. both personally and professionally. Like we interviewed um, Dr. Rongan Chatterjee, who spoke around, um, the catalyst for him was the death of his father mm. that had allowed him to realise that he'd been living a life of other people's expectations of what he felt he should be doing and the jobs that he should be doing. And he shared with us a concept called Ikigai. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Yeah. It's a it's a Japanese term that it's basically about identifying a sense of purpose in your life. Mm. And there's been research from 
Um, a guy called Dan Bootner, that he wrote a book called The Blue Zones, where people live longer, healthier, happier lives. Mm. And one of the factors of that is they have this sense of ikigai, a sense of purpose, mm. that's often centered around four questions. What do I love doing? What difference can I make to the rest of the world? What can bring me money and what am I really good at? Mm. So I'm interested. I think all of them go hand in hand, though, to be honest with you. Yeah, but listening to you, I think that, they, like you say, stop going out on a Friday night with people that you don't give a shit about and yeah. actually like, have a bath, have go for a walk, do things that are good for you, opened up the space for you to start answering exactly those questions. Exactly. So I'm, I'm interested about how you would apply those questions to what happened next in your career. Good question. I don't think you're ever going to be truly successful at something if you don't love it yeah. and if you're not being genuine with it. So I always ask myself that question before I go into any job. Am I doing this for money? Am I doing this because I actually want to do it? Is it going to stress me out? Do I feel like it's going to serve me a purpose? I mean, again, I was doing jobs when I was unhappy simply because they was paying the bills. Nothing good was coming from this. I didn't feel good when I was doing it. I didn't feel good when I was posting it. I didn't feel good during it. And I just felt like I wasn't being myself at all. Whereas now, obviously, everyone wants to earn money, right? I'm not going to stand here and say, just do things that you love because we all love not doing much. <laughs> we all love seeing our family. But unfortunately, we've got to earn a living. But I think there's a fine line between doing things because you feel like you have to. And again, doing things because you actually want to and because you actually care about the cause. And I think it's just tapping into that and it's hard to it's it's hard to explain to someone but it's tapping into something that you truly love and giving it a hundred percent because it's hard to, it's hard to do isn't it well what's interesting here is that you'd built a brand mm. the courtney black brand was built entirely on not necessarily a lie but it was built on a kind of a falsehood really based around all this toxicity so it yeah. was built on oh but it, it wasn't it wasn't staying like that well, this exactly was the thing because it couldn't. Because once you changed, this had to this change, right? No, no, no. It wasn't staying like that. I grew, I grew, I grew. I yeah. built a really successful business at a young age. Well, I mean, it's nowhere near where my business is now. But I mean, I remember I was writing these ebooks, and I earned a really good living when I was obviously really unhappy. I was training people. I was doing fourteen-hour days in this in this studio. I was successful. Like I was doing really well. And then it went like this. People didn't care about me anymore on social media. I was losing clients because I was being so miserable and I wasn't understanding people and I wasn't truly tapping into people's, like they didn't want to be around me. How hard was that for you? Because I imagine you based a lot of your self-worth on the love you got on social 100%. media. 100%. All I cared about was money as well though. All I cared about was what I looked like and all I cared about was money. And all I thought was, how can I do this? I was this close to quitting being a trainer this close and the last thing that I'd done was I started writing them ebooks and then I actually truly got so much love from the, the messages that I was getting people saying you've made me feel healthier you've made me a happier person and rather than people saying to me oh I want to look like you nobody cared about what I look like anymore they cared about how I was making them feel that was life-changing for me like people were sending me in like it's helped their kids, it's helped this, because I was talking about how I gained weight, I was talking about how I was getting myself feeling better, how they could like exercise within a small amount of time, how they could feel better. And rather than people saying, oh, I want to look like you, how do I look like you? How do I get skinny like you? How do I do this? How do I do that? They were actually thinking, wow, you've made me feel better. So when did you start being authentic then? When and telling I... people the truth on social and what impact did that have for your following and, and the reaction you got? Lockdown, because... I first started doing the live workouts when I thought I need to train. 
it was selfish, completely selfish of me. I started doing these live workouts because I thought, okay, if I turn up to my, I think I had like 280,000 followers on Instagram. And I thought, if I say that I'm going to do a live workout every day for these people, I'm then going to stick to my training routine. Little did I know that every day everyone was going to join and it got up to like 30,000, 35,000 live views on a daily basis. You can't hide with all these people on a camera. You cannot be a fake person every day for like five months. It would be really hard. It's like being on a TV show, right? You can't be fake on a TV show, I don't think, if it's documenting you every second of the day. I was turning up and remember as well, I'm exercising. I'm doing burpees. I've not got a stitch of makeup on. I'm sweating. And everyone loved me for it. And I was just like, nothing matters. Like what I looked like didn't matter. The fact that I was bending over and I had belly rolls, people loved me for it. They tuned in every day because they felt like they was with a friend. Yeah. And being myself is what people enjoyed so you realized that you had it wrong all those years had it wrong all these years i'm trying to if, if only i'd done that like all them years ago who knows where my business would have been but it needed that it needed i mean it's unfortunate that the world had to go into lockdown and it had to be that but i turned up every day and of course at first i was so worried about the people that was looking at me on this camera but that instantly went when i knew how much people was I mean, I used to get messages going, I love how you've come on this morning. My kids are loving you. You're putting a smile on my face. Like, how rewarding is that? Rather than being, wow, you look good. And it was rewarding because it was true energy. This yeah. isn't like, this wasn't the next phase of fakery. Right now mm. I'm going to pretend to be really like driven and excited yeah. Yeah. to help people out. This was the real you. Yeah. And I think that is an amazing story to mm. go from feeling that you had to lie to the world, mm. right? And put all of that at the forefront of what mm. you were doing to get to the point where it's total freedom. Mm. But I'm also really interested in the business side because yeah. there are loads of people that are themselves on social media, <laughs> but they don't run a business in the way that you do. Mm. So can we talk about the business side of your life? Yeah. Why do you believe you're a successful businesswoman? Well, going back to when I was a kid, I'm not I'm not a special person at all, right? Um, you can probably hear that from my voice. I'm not like typical English British person that you know like the typical wealthy sort of person that you'd see I just love everything that's nitty-gritty about life but when I was in school I was the geek all I wanted to do was get home go to my computer games work out how to use photoshop to make my magazines uh, there's always something going in my brain my friends think I'm mental I wake up at five in the morning and Amy she goes to me you don't just get out of bed you leap out of bed you're like a zombie getting out of bed because my mind is constantly going I am always thinking what's next what's next I told you guys earlier that I'm constantly moving mm. I'm moving places because I don't know where I want to be I'm constantly thinking what's next I'm constantly thinking about new ideas I text my employees at five in the morning four in the morning sometimes when I have an idea right. because I just want to note it down I'm just thinking of the next thing and I'm I'm always so on the ball I find it so hard to switch off I can only like really switch off for a five-day holiday couldn't think of anything worse than going away for two weeks yeah. because i just I, I my legs exactly would be going feeling. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah my leg would be going i'd be thinking i need to get back i want to work i enjoy working i enjoy being busy like my friends go to me you're doing too much i don't think i am i like being busy i like waking up in the morning freeing my mind filming for the app exercising sitting back down doing a couple Zoom calls, being here, there and everywhere. I give everything what I do 100% and I never stop thinking what's next. And I think to be successful and to have a successful business, you do have to make a lot of sacrifices. I know it's a 
a very typical thing that people probably hear on earth all the time. Oh, you have to make a lot of sacrifices, but you do. What are they? I'm not going to be here for my niece's birthday party. So I'm going to see her the week before. I'm not always seeing my friends. I, I have to say to my friends, guys, I can't come out tonight because tomorrow I want to be fresh. I have to cancel dinners. I have to cancel things. To be honest with you, if they're good friends, they're going to stay around. And I always just think I am very cautious to know that I need to still make time for people and I need to still make time for my family and friends. I'm still a good daughter. I'm still a good um, auntie. I'm still a good sister. But unfortunately, my business means a lot to me. It's what makes me happy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So tell us... What is it that gives you that energy to spring out of bed every morning? What is it that gives you the energy to turn down dinner invites? Loving that, what I do. Yeah, so, and again, that's a great thing. And I, yeah. and, and I get the concept. But, hard, I'm, yeah. but I'm thinking for people listening to this mm. are going, I think I've got energy, but I need it to be channeled. I'd, I'd love to know. What is it that, like, define what is it that you do? Because it's more than just making money. Oh, What's yeah, the course. sense of purpose? Of course. So... It's changing people's lives. And I know that's right. cliche. It's okay. people saying to me, I've suffered with food my whole life and you've helped me recover from an eating disorder. It's people saying to me, I've had cancer and you've, I mean, I've got one girl who does my workouts and she's literally got one arm. Anything is possible. Like exercise is such a huge relief and seeing these people's lives change so much. How can you not be motivated and inspired to do that every single day? Of course, not everyone's going to be a personal trainer, so that's not going to apply to everyone, but find something that is rewarding. It's not just your work, by the way, it's things that you do outside of work, something that might help people, help people outside of work. And then you're going to be happier when you go to work. Not everyone's going to be in a job that they're going to feel personally rewarded for, right? You guys run this podcast, but there's people around here that the podcast isn't necessarily rewarding for them. It's a rewarding job because they get to see how many lives this podcast changes, but they're not at the forefront of it. But you can't always be at the forefront of everything, right? But the little things that you do in life and you can see people that are getting happier, they're getting more rewarded from certain things, that's so life-changing. And that's going to be your get up and go. And how do you work out who gets to come on the journey with you? How do you pick the team around you? Because, you know, you're central to this, right? Mm. Um, and they're there with you, but they're not you. So yeah. how, how do you work out who it's needs really to be and what do you know. look for? It's really hard. Yeah. I've lost like four employees over the last two years. One of them being my best friend. And I've actually recently fell out with my best friend from work. Why? I don't know. And I feel like it's really sad because we was best, best friends. She started working for me. It was never an issue with work. Maybe again, like we're very two different persons. She's very sensitive. I'm not. But yeah, I don't know. I moved to London and I just feel like we really drifted apart. And however much we tried to make that work, it wasn't working. And I don't feel like people are always as genuine as they feel like as you want them to be. I feel like I was holding on to friendships that, and I mean, I always say to you guys, I just said to you earlier, don't surround yourself with people that don't have your best interests. And I was doing that, basically. I was 
trying to make something work that wasn't working. And sometimes you have to let go of people. And unfortunately, I had to let go of my best friend. I had to let go of people in the in the workplace because they're not doing, they're not, they don't want the best for you and they don't want to be part of that life. And as somebody then that has spent a lot of time looking for mm. validation from other people, mm. how do you deal with that when maybe you and your friend do have that fallout and like, how does that make you feel and how do you now process it? Oh, it's horrible. It's initially horrible. It's that, that feeling of, have I done something wrong? And that's honestly... And I know I said to you earlier, I've come so far. The first thing I thought of when I've stopped being friends with her, this is recent, by the way, yeah. I thought, what have I done? What have I done wrong? It's, it's not me. It's not her. It's just we're both not connecting. And as I said earlier, you're not someone else's emotions. I don't know how she's feeling. She doesn't know how I feel. I mean, even though we're vocalising it to each other, we're still taking it the wrong way. And sometimes it's good to just take a step back. And it's it's good to know that, Sometimes things aren't going to work out. Everything can't be hunky-dory. Like You can't be getting on with everyone all the time. And sometimes these relationships just don't work anymore. People grow as different people. You want different things. As you're saying it, Courtney, I'm reminded of the echoes of uh, a previous interview we did with um, the Dutch footballer, Robin Van Persie, mm-hmm. that spoke about how when he'd started on his footballing career, he had this dream that his friendship group with the guys that were going to come with him and experience all the great things he did. And he reached a plateau in his career where he had to make the decision of your journey's at an end with me now we need to that I'll still love you and I'll always have affection but I need to go in a different direction without you guys Mm. so how do you now determine who comes with you on this next stage of the journey Mm. who like who becomes a member of your new tribe I think it's hard to know someone's true intentions and that does take a long time to build that trust in people But for example, my assistant, Alex, she beams everything that I would ever want someone to work for me for. She's honest. She's open. She tells me when I'm in the wrong. If I say something and she thinks she doesn't agree with it, she tells me. People, you need to have honest and open people around you. You don't want people to be agreeing with everything you say all the time. If you come into this podcast and your team don't agree with something you say, do you want them to tell you or do you want to come on here and just do it anyway you want an honest opinion if you still feel like that's right in your gut then still go with it but you don't want people to just agree with what you're saying because oh you've got a big audience or people normally pussyfoot around you you want someone to really want you to do the best you need to also reciprocate that otherwise that's not going to last for very long and I've learned that in business as well always check in with how people are always be really considerate and always really want to know how someone else is feeling because it's not just you that matters it's them as well if you're not caring with people that are working for you your team around you they're going to get bored and I've learned that I mean maybe that's what happened with my best friend maybe I wasn't caring enough for her maybe that was a little bit me or maybe it's just okay yeah, and it's fine. And life moves on. Life does move on. And sometimes you're making it worse by just trying to make it perfect all the time and trying to make things work that aren't meant to work. And that's fine. Life does move on. I'm really interested as well to talk about your decision making. Mm-hmm. Because you you built a whole business around people going to the gym mm. and then lockdown came and you had to pivot and then mm. your whole business had to be about home scary. workouts. Mm. <laughs> well, yeah, let's talk about scary and then talk about how you turn it from scary into successful. It's crazy because I could never imagine myself. Everyone says to me now, like, what do you, what gym do you go to? Go, not, don't step foot in the gym. I've tried it. I've dabbled back in it. Hated it. But I was so hell bent on going to the gym. It was your release. I used to laugh at people that used to do home workouts. And then this got thrown on me. And I've just spent all of my life savings 
everything that I earn my money on. I mean, I've got a flat. I mean, how am I going to afford to pay for my flat? I've just paid for this app. I've filmed every single workout on gym equipment. And then we've gone into lockdown. Literally, the, the launch for my app was the week before lockdown. Wow. And just to reiterate, you what put your life savings into the app? You've taken a big risk. People don't <gasps> talk often enough in business about the risk. Tell us the risk of this Everything. app. Everything. Every really? penny that I am um, doing them 14 hour days, working on bank holidays, doing everything that I could in that gym, earning the money from the ebooks. I literally just had this app and my flat. I mean, that was it. I've gone from thinking, okay, this app's going to turn over this much. It already had a few subscribers to thinking, what the hell? Everyone's going to run subscribe. I'm not working in the gym anymore. We're not allowed to work in the gym. I'm self-employed. I'm fucked. <laughs> wow. Right. Yeah. So just go back and tell us about the app then for mm-hmm. people that don't know it. So what was the intention behind it and and why were you confident Scale. that it was going to be successful to put to go all in on it? Scale in a business. It's the most important thing you can do in a business. Like it's the same as if you're teaching one child, why can't you get four kids in that class and scale your business bigger? I was earning... I was selling crazy amounts of ebooks. Like, and when I say crazy amounts, I remember I it cost me a hundred pounds to make this ebook, right? It probably took me a week to make it, and I earned like three hundred k off of it. Right, right. So I'd sold wow. a shit ton of ebooks, yeah. And this was just a PDF document. People, are, it's changing so many people's lives. Yeah. What am I, what am I going to do next? I can't have 10, 15, 30 ebooks. People are going to be so bored of that. There's only so much you can put in an ebook. Okay. How can I scale this into something bigger? How can I hit people all around the world? How can I add videos? How can I add voiceovers? How can I really tap into someone, help them with their food, help them with their nutrition, make it more personalized so I can tell them how many calories they're eating, how to make themselves feel better, how to fuel their day? It's an app, right? Brilliant. There's no better thing that you can do in business than have a subscriber base. A subscriber base that is there and they're loyal, right? So say like 30,000 people bought these ebooks and I had 30,000 people on an app paying 15.99 a month. You don't even I don't even need to explain that to you. That's a shit ton of money, yeah, right? Yeah. And you're helping so many more people. But what's interesting here is we've spoken about the purpose. Mm. The purpose of the app wasn't was it to make money or was it to reach as many people as possible and change their lives? Reach as many people. Because then the byproduct is you make yeah. money. I never thought that I was going to have this many subscribers, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like you just want to be comfortable. You want to be happy. You want to yeah. be earning a good wage and you want to be able to fund this app. I mean, in lockdown, I didn't charge for any of them workouts. I was still doing it unpaid. I worked for five months unpaid. I actually raised money for charities during it instead. I said, if you want to donate after these workouts, then do that. I did not earn a penny for five months. I was still thinking in my head, like, what am I going to do? Yeah. So I had this app, but it didn't have any subscribers on it because it only had gym workouts on it. Right. I don't develop the app myself. I couldn't overnight change it to a home workout app. So I thought, what can I do instead? I built up a loyal following. I built up a loyal amount of people doing these things for three. 30,000 people, 35,000 people was coming on live, but 200,000 people was actually watching that video and doing that workout because you could post it. So right. this was a huge, huge following. I was gaining 30,000 followers overnight. I wrote it in my notes every single night how many fa- how many followers I was gaining. I was just so excited about coming on. That was the highlight of my day was doing that 9am workout. So can I ask you a question mm-hmm. that links to the very first answer that you gave mm-hmm. then? You spoke to us about how when you were a young girl you felt an awful lot of pressure mm-hmm. and that then manifested itself in the eating disorders and mm-hmm. that horrible self-talk that you had. So as you're doing this now, you've got the pressure of you've launched an app, you've gone mm. all in with the money, you've got 
more and more eyeballs coming watching these workouts. You're feeling that there's nowhere to hide, like the belly rolls mm. or the uh, like the flaws that you might have. How did you now process pressure differently than when you were 17 and it manifested itself in in such horrible ways? I tapped it into business. So I didn't, through lockdown, I didn't have any bad thoughts about what I looked like. It's weird, not one. Maybe maybe every now and then, but I, I didn't sit there and worry about what people were thinking about what I looked like. But then I started having the issue of worrying about people judging what I was doing and not liking my, my, my right. what I was given in the workouts not liking things that I was posting on Instagram so that moved over to the business side of things and that's when I needed to start having the therapist and I knew that I really need to tap into this and see what was channeling this so you got the therapist when yeah you got when it, the business right. was okay. booming literally when the business and that's was booming. interesting because most people would do that when they're struggling right? yeah no so there's real foresight there and so what did you s- when you go and see a therapist, right, and they go, what's the problem? Mm. You kind of go in and go, well, life's never been better. So <laughs> what did you explain to the therapist you wanted from those those sessions? Well, no, I remember I actually rang the therapist crying my eyes out. Really? <laughs> actually, yeah. So I was in this big house that I just bought for myself. I was a, as I say, 25-year-old girl in a five-bedroom five house, my own gym studio in the garden, had everything I ever wanted and I was happy yeah. I wasn't unhappy don't get me wrong and I'm, I am I was really happy but I was getting so overwhelmed I had my first panic attack in my office in that room and I could not breathe and this was the day that I rang the therapist right. so describe a panic attack for someone that this is the only one I've ever, ever had, had by the way I've not had one since okay go on I was sitting on the floor and I could not breathe and I could not breathe for a good like hour and, and what had triggered it what had happened leading up to this I think it was days and days of Little tiny comments, by the way. It's so superficial when you look at it. But people going, I didn't like that you've done this. I don't like this, what you've posted. But remember, I've put my heart and soul into this for like two years. I loved my community and I loved the people that I'd built. I I train with them every single day. So to think that someone didn't like what I was doing affected me so much. I remember, it was one silly little comment. I think it was something as, as stupid as, why have you called that workout that? And I just remember sitting there and I was getting so overwhelmed and I was on my own in this office. And I remember I was in my pyjamas as well. I felt like a nutcase. I was so erratic. I was like, what is going on? What is going on? I didn't tell anyone that I rang this therapist. And then I booked in with her the next week. And I just remember feeling nuts. The instant the first, she was getting me putting my hand on my head, my hand on my chest. She was amazing, don't get me wrong. She's completely changed the way that I see business. The first couple of sessions, I thought, what am I doing? I'm literally sitting there. She's making me go... I'm thinking she's making me imagine myself on a beach and connecting to things. And what it, was the purpose of that? Do it you was know? so spirit. It was tapping into how I was deeply feeling and what I was, and just getting me away and just chilling me out. Basically, she was trying to chill Calming me out. You she was trying down. to calm me down. Yeah. She was telling me when I was waking up because I'd wake up quite a lot in the night, and she was like, "When I wake up, put your hand on your chest and take deep breaths, and put your hand on your head and take deep breaths. It helped Mm. me so much. These sort of things are so powerful. Tapping into things and just chilling out. So when did you stop feeling like a nutter then? When it started working. (laughs) (laughs) When I started sleeping better. And when I was actually listening to her thinking, look, I'm paying this woman and I'm I'm, I'm trying to, I really want to calm down. And I really want to have that nice balance of being always on the go, but also knowing how to find my calm. I never trusted anyone to do any jobs that I didn't want to do. I mean, I've since the day that I met her, I've employed like a team of ten people. Mm. You were a control one... freak before then, were you? 
massively. Yeah. I only had one person working for me. Mm. And even then I didn't trust what she was doing. I felt like I had to do everything to make it perfect. I would never, ever, ever have hired a CTO. I mean, I've got a cheat at the office now doing meetings for me and then coming back and telling me things. It's just losing that control and losing that power and knowing that you're not going to be good at everything. And I always felt like I had to have the power. I had to control because I'd built this business myself. I felt like I was the only one that could do it. But how can I then go back to me telling you guys, oh, to scale out, I wanted to build this up. To scale out, you've got to have other people that are better at you than what you are. Yeah. You're not going to be the best at everything. And I think that's where I was quite overwhelmed and stuff was I was putting this insane amount of pressure on myself to be here, there and everywhere, say yes to everything and do everything in my business that I just couldn't do. But there's a pattern here in terms mm. of two of the answers that you've said that like when you decided to remove those fillers and you mm. describe that really, really powerfully and you then started saying no to mm. going out for dinner with people that you didn't want to. Instead of saying no to doing things that I didn't feel good in. Yeah, and then it sounds like the wave has come again where you've then filled it with lots of mm. other purposeful activity for the business. And then you've had the panic attack and somebody mm. said, the therapist has taught you, allow space, give mm. yourself time to think. And you've then gone through this next chapter of your career. So you know what that just screams to me? Addictive. Yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm asking you, so so far you've described two patterns where mm. you've given yourself time to calm, you've grown, and then you've filled it with busyness, and then you've had another moment where you've had to find time to calm, you've grown it again. How do you avoid it happening a third or a fourth time then? I think it's tapping into it early. You know when you're getting a bit too controlling, you're getting a bit too addictive to something, and there's nothing wrong with having an addictive personality, right? It's made me be the businesswoman that I am today, and I think a lot of high performers, a lot of successful people say the same thing. They say they've got an addictive personality. It is a thing, and it's not a bad thing, but you've got to know how to have that balance, and listening to other people, having good people around you, not thinking you can do everything yourself, I think is the most important thing. And I think when you get when you get addictive and you get obsessive over something, it's because you think you know the best all the time. You don't think you should listen to anyone else. You don't think you should take advice to anyone else. It's listening to podcasts. It's listening to other entrepreneurs. It's listening to therapists. It's listening to people that you just love, people that you respect their decisions. And it's actually taking in what they're saying and not thinking that you're always the best all the time, which so- is an easy thing to slip into. After this hour-long conversation it kind of actually takes us all the way back to the very beginning Mm. and now it's all about being reminded that that empathy is actually what matters Mm. and the Courtney Black that we would have spoken to five or six years ago I would never have been here would have had opinion I would never have been here I would never have been here and I honestly don't think that if I didn't get rid of them fillers if I didn't wasn't true to myself and if I wasn't back to who I was nothing in lockdown would have happened. I would never have gained the trust of all them people. Never, ever. And I needed that little moment to be back to where I was and to be successful. And that's why I said you need to be genuine to be successful because nobody wants to love someone who doesn't love themselves and who doesn't genuinely believe in what they're preaching. What a fascinating journey it's been for you and an amazing conversation. Thank you. We've now reached the moment for our quick fire questions. Okay, I'm scared. What are the three non-negotiables? that people around you have to buy into to be part of your world? Driven. Yeah. Charismatic. Know how to work a room. I think that's a very important quality, knowing how to talk to different kinds of people. If you can't go in and talk to people that you've never spoken to before and be thrown in the deep end and be able to communicate with people that you're not really used to, that's a big 
big red flag for me, especially in business and especially in people that I would want to be around. And calming energy. I want people to be able to calm each other down and be able to be empathetic to each other and being able to maybe take things in the right way when they sometimes can seem negative. What's your greatest weakness and what's your biggest strength? My greatest weakness is I'm super impatient, super impatient. Everything's got to be go, go, go. And that's made me to make big decisions. So I'm very on the spot. I can think on the spot. But sometimes it's not a good thing. But it's also made me make the biggest decisions and it's made me excel the most in my career. And I am a very loyal and loving person. And what I do is always with the best interests at heart. I'm a very, very loyal person. And I think that really shines through in everything that I do. What is the lowest moment in your whole life or your biggest failure? And how did you react to it? I think the lowest moment is when I was living in that flat and I had the eating disorder and I was just going through relationships and everything that was making me feel worse about myself and I was seeking validation out of people that I should never have seek validation from and as I say just in a miserable spell of trying to overcompensate trying to be someone that I wasn't and then that but it may be the person I am today mm. it literally did if that didn't happen I would not be here we talk often on on this podcast that what is hard for you isn't necessarily bad for you mm. and you've lived a life of really hard moments yeah 100% have equipped you with what you need to do. I've not even touched base on things that I've literally like, like my dad, for example, and other things that have happened in my life, which have made me the person who I am today. And I, I, I agree. Everything that's, I, and it's, I laugh about this all the time. Every time, I mean, I've been single for five years, right? Whenever I see someone, I gain something from it. I feel like crap at the time because something bad's happened or something's happened. It's not worked out. I always learn something and I always gain something and I always feel like I would never take that back. So, what, so what's what been the biggest learning you've had from a relationship? Don't trust people on face value. Don't seek validation from people that are love bombing or they, no one's perfect basically and everyone can make them seem like they live this perfect life and they're going to have the most perfect thing for you. But that's not, that's not realistic. People have flaws and when people show you their flaws is the best people to be around, not people that are trying to be perfect all the time. What one book would you recommend for our listeners? The Magic of Thinking Big. I love that one. And That Maxwell Maltz, is it? Yeah. yeah. And um, what I said to you earlier, how to win friends and influence yeah. people. And your one final message to the people listening to this, and it may well be that they, they're struggling like you used to. It may well be that they want to be entrepreneurs or they might already be running successful businesses. Mm. What one golden rule would you like to leave our listeners with for living their own version of high performance? Don't seek validation from anyone else. And even though you're listening to these podcasts, I listen to podcasts all the time. Someone's story is not the same as your own. And just because someone lives a certain way does not mean that that's going to work for you yeah. as well. 100%. Amazing. Don't forget, if you want to hear more from this guest, then all you need to do is subscribe to our premium service, High Performance Plus, and you can hear what was said when the mics kept on rolling. Damien. Jake. I thought that Courtney was such an impressive person who's done so much. And I think a conversation like that is a really good reminder for people listening to this that nothing comes for free. You know, if you're going to achieve great things, then often there is a flip side to that. And in her case, it is her addictive personality and it can show itself up in terms of her eating disorder. But equally, it can show itself up in terms of really becoming obsessed with having a, an impact for other people and driving her business forwards. And I think we beat ourselves up too much in this world that if I've got any flaw, then it's a negative. But I think 
a flaw can be as beneficial as it can be at times derailing. Yeah, definitely. I think there's been studies on this. I remember reading one about a guy that uh, went into sort of gang culture, like drug dealing, and he was looking at some of the characteristics of drug dealers were actually similar to CEOs in terms of you had to be identify your market, you had to be responsive in your supply chains and things like that. And I suppose it might sound a bit esoteric why I mention it, but the point they're making is that society would brand one as a criminal and another as a high flyer. And I suppose it's this idea that we need to get away from it's binary, it's good or bad. I think, like you say, an addictive personality can be good in some contexts, but bad in another. And we need to understand the contact to be able to harness it to our advantage. Because actually, if you look at what she's done, the impact that she's had, it's all about connection. It's about connecting to people who need someone to help them and guide them and drive them through. And I really, I'm, I'm like positive about the world because there are people like Courtney just laying it bare, telling it how it is and being really vulnerable for the benefit of others. Yeah, I think that was the big thing that I took away from it, Jake, about the fact that, it was only when she chose to be authentic has that connection increased with her members of, of that subscribe to her app and that suddenly her business has taken a quantum leap forward. Mm. And I think for any of us listening to this, we might not be running a business, we might not have an app, but the point is we can all be authentic. We can all recognise when we're wearing a mask, we're trying to present an image to the world that isn't who we really are. And I think to stop and ask ourselves those questions, is this really the person that I want to, mm. uh, I want others to identify with? That then allows us to live a life of authenticity. I enjoyed it. No, I did too. It was a pleasure. Now, look, we know that these high achieving, world famous individuals that we often speak to have got a great lesson or a great journey or a great story to tell. But we also know that so have you. And we also know that your story is just as valuable as theirs. So every week on the High Performance Podcast, we like to bring you into the conversation and hear from a high performance listener. So let's do that right now. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome Alex to High Performance. Hey, Alex, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Mate, it's a pleasure. So you put something on LinkedIn recently where you spoke about the High Performance Podcast being an outlet for you. Would you mind sharing with people listening to this um, your story um, and then we'll talk about what the podcast did for you? Yeah, no, no worries. Um, so 2019 um, was the year I started my undergraduate degree in education studies. And um, before starting uni, I lost my dad to suicide. And so, you know, that was like a, just a crazy period in my life. I didn't sort of know whether I was coming or going, basically. I knew I had to be headstrong. So I knew my long term goal, I want, want to be a primary school teacher. And that's still that's still the goal. And then so six months into my degree my mum died of bowel cancer and so that was um in January 2020 and there was times you know where we were in the hospice my sister and I and I was still working on like my uni assignments and cracking on with my uni work and I remember saying to my mum like I don't think I can do this anymore mum you know I just just want to sack it all off and you know I just want to make sure that you're okay and she was like Alex you know you've signed up for this you've got to, you've got to keep going and she'd always say to me you know you you're going to sink or swim and she said but I know you're going to keep on swimming and that's something that sort of like resonated with me like stayed with me throughout and then yeah so this year um, I graduated um, from uni with a first class degree in um, education studies and yeah I sort of look back and um, 
listen to what my mum and dad, you know, sort of like taught me and said to me and what you guys, you know, and the guests that you, um, you've had on and, and what you guys stand for. And that's what got me through. And, you know, sort of like, here I am. Yeah. Amazing. Well, look, congratulations for being where you are. Congratulations on getting that first class degree. But, you know, first of all, on behalf of everyone on the podcast, everyone listening to this, the whole team, you know, my condolences. I'm so sorry for what you've had to go through. You know, losing your mum is is awful. Um, losing your dad to suicide is a particularly difficult thing. You know, we've had that experience in my family as well. And I don't know about you, but one of the really big emotions it always brings up in me is you just think, like, was I not good enough? Like, was was I not enough of a reason for you to stick around? And I think, you know, for people listening to this, it would, it would be really helpful for you to, maybe if you can, share with us how you managed to resolve that in your own head. Yeah, it's just like like, like what you've just said as well, you know, it's sort of like, is it, am I not good enough? Is my, you know, my sister not good enough? But also, um, it's going back to like Ryan Holiday's episode, like the Stoics and what he, what he spoke about, you know, sort of like what you can and you can't control around you. I think, you know, when, when someone is in, you know, that mental state, you can't sometimes necessarily control that. You can have an influence on that, but you can't always control it. And it's then just as well coming, coming off of that, realizing that communication and reaching out and speaking to people, it's so powerful. And, you know, knowing that if, if dad done that and, you know, the situation might have been totally different. Yeah. You know what? I feel good for the future of our nation if it's people like you, mate, that are going to be standing in front of them. No, I appreciate that. Them. Thank you. Um, you know, I know that you've got your three non-negotiables of empathy, humility and resilience. There is no question that you demonstrate all of those in this conversation with us and no doubt draw on those every single day. Um, what a fantastic um, conversation. Really, really special for a lot of people I know. Um, we always ask this to our visitors or our guests at the end of each high performance episode i'd love to know this from you after everything you've been through what would you leave people to think about what would you leave as your one golden rule for living a high performance life what you can control make sure you control it to the best of your ability whatever that is and just don't give up mate listen so much love to you so sorry for everything that's happened but what a powerful and strong person you are to sit here and talk about it in the way you have take care lots of love man Andrew, thank you so much. Have a good one. Well, there we go then. That's it. The first episode of 2023 has been and gone. Um, it starts now, doesn't it? I really hope that you're full of good intentions. I hope you've got some great New Year's resolutions. I hope that you've got some great plans. But I also hope that you understand that it's not a linear path. Success is compound. Okay, it takes time. It takes consistency. It takes effort. And sometimes it also takes struggle but I would love you to stick with us. I'd also love you to share this podcast with as many people as possible. If you want more from us, High Performance Lessons from the Best on Becoming Your Best is about to be released in paperback on the 5th of January. And throughout 2023, we're touring the UK. So if you want to come and see us live and get an amazing high performance experience, I think there are some tickets still available. So get involved there and come and join us. But remember, there is no secret. It is all there for you. So chase world-class basics. Don't get high on your own supply. Remain humble, curious and empathetic and have an incredible 2023.